Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Debrief. Two in two weeks, aren't you lucky? We're joined by our usual suspects today, Sersha Morton and Stephen Brown. Say hello. 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 And we're also joined by a very special guest this week, a new recruit, Thomas McCann. Welcome. Thank you, very special guest. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so Thomas has been writing for our excellent website, Energy Debrief. Which you should definitely check out. That you check it Absolutely. out. Um, link in bio, wherever you find us. Um, but we're here to have a big chat. Also, fun announcement, we're going back into a mini lockdown of sorts. Yay. We're reluctant to call it a lockdown, but... It, um, so I in think Scotland, the, the key phrase is circuit breaker. It sounds... The circuit breaker. Yes. There you go. That sounds better, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So for any of you who don't know, um, Scotland has had a rise in cases for the first time. We recorded over 1,000 coronavirus cases in a day. And as a result, we are um, sort of shutting down. Um, Cracking achievement, lads. Well done. Yeah, excellent work, boys. <laughs> um so what is happening is uh, we're shutting down in the central belt, uh, particularly. This is where the really strict rules apply. Any licensed premises other than licensed cafes who can stay open so long as they don't serve alcohol, um, and any other areas, cafes, coffee shops have to close after six p.m. So how are we feeling about this? I'm not enthusiastic about the response of the re- of, of the hospitality industry to this. There has been yeah. a lot of people have come across when they're appearing on Reporting Scotland to give their opinions and things like that. They've come across as really of, we want everyone and we want the money and to hell with people's help. Yeah, so th- this is the this is the problem, isn't it? So um, we're in a situation right now where we are sort of forced to pick between economics and health. And for me, personally, the way that I have always seen it is... You can recover the economy. Uh, dead people can't come back to life. Unless that, you're Jesus. Unless you're Jesus. Um, but or I'm, Lazarus. I'm that, <laughs> um, or Iron I'd, Man. <laughs> I'd go so far as to say most people aren't, though. Um, and in the long term, uh, what is going to affect your economy more? You know, lapse in income, which... Well, there is no denying that this is terrible. This is affecting livelihoods and businesses, particularly local small businesses, or killing half your workforce. This is the thing for me. That's a s- dead silence there. That's a sobering fact. <laughs> I mean, it, well, kill, the, it, it really, kill the workforce. It's, it's I, I think, boiling uh, down to that. Yeah. I think going back to your point about the 6pm sort of curfew on pubs now and some just completely closing at all, I suppose in Scotland we've, we've gradually gotten used to time being time frames being put onto places like this. Uh, a few weeks ago we were given 10pm curfew and everyone sort of said yeah, you know, there wasn't a lot of backlash and then now some are being closed at six and some are just closing altogether. I suppose they've gradually done it. And yeah. with the amount of risk now, just going to have a drink, you know, a lot of people are asking themselves to like, you know, is it really worth the risk for me and my friends meeting up to go mm-hmm. have a drink at a pub, you know? Yeah. And, and so just to clarify for anyone listening, um, so those 6pm rules... 
um, everywhere shutting down at 6pm. They're exclusive to the Central Belt. For the rest of Scotland, you can continue to serve alcohol in, in any place that you want. Indoor service suspends at 6pm and curfew is still 10pm. Um, the reason that those restrictions are in the Central Belt specifically is because we have had an influx of cases, as you would expect. Um, it's a densely populated area. Um, as much as a lot of us are a big fan of Nicola Sturgeon, I feel like the last few months she's let this sort of go on and she's kicked the can down the road on this particular problem. I don't think she has. No, I think I. this is... I think at this point, it's pe- the reason that cases are rising are because people haven't been keeping rigidly to the rules. And, I um, mean, yeah, yeah, of, of course you have that. People uh, aren't uh, keeping to the rules. That's just the flat down, yeah, of course. But Glasgow... Winter flu season per- hits. Gla- Glasgow particularly, and Edinburgh, it has been going on for too long that restrictions have not been brought into place, and this is why that we have had to do this. Well, so the reason that restrictions weren't brought into place earlier is a combination of two things, really. Um, the first being the government could not monetarily support businesses if they were to shut. Um, we are in the largest economic recession we've seen in, I would go so far as to say, maybe a hundred years. Um, Since the uh, last Roaring Twenties. Yeah, it's uh, we, are, we are in a pit. Um, and also, it's the understanding that this is going to sink plenty of businesses. If you did not have mm. a reservoir of money left, you're gone. Um, if you didn't have savings, you're gone. And it was trying to postpone the detrimental impact to the e- economy, which it's inevitable um, that this is going to continue and we're going to continue and we're going to lose a lot of shops and we're going to lose a lot of restaurants. Um, but it was an attempt to sort of blend together keeping the public relatively free as well as keeping these cases at a minimum. And also something that needs to be considered is social isolation. Um, there is no doubt that further restrictions uh, impact social isolation and mental health. Um, I don't think anyone has been well over all of this. Um, I don't envy her at all in what she oh, has no, to do no. and what no. the decisions that she's having to make. Um, they're tough ones and I agree that this maybe should have brought been brought in a wee bit earlier, but I understand why it wasn't. I'm still kind of on the fence with this whole um, policy that they've brought in because I feel, I feel like Nicola Sturgeon is getting a hard time off some people for it but you know this isn't a this isn't a decision that the Scottish government would have taken lightly because independent businesses who barely survived the last lockdown are really going to be feeling the strain now but then at the same time I'm not sure if I'm just not reading the right material but I'm not I'm not seeing anything about the the science behind it like how much how much um, COVID spreads in pubs in Scotland? Mm. Like, what what the chances are of you getting it by I being in these places mm-hmm. with social distancing and masks and you know sanitising stations the, and all that? The, my biggest worry, and I think a lot of people will agree with this, is that when you take away the restricted areas with this one meter rule, two meter rule, and closing down those places 
what's stopping people vendors going to people's houses yeah. and then yeah. which is my biggest worry the fact but that that is she, also illegal should be what's stopping yeah. people going to each other's houses well yeah, yeah of course but i mean it isn't the fear factor is gone but she does i i fully support cafes staying open that is really a godsend not just yeah. for the business but for mm. social aspect as well I think, I think you made a very um, good point in all of that when you say the fear factor is well and truly gone now. Everyone it, just wants to get back to normal and sadly yeah. that's just not going to happen for it maybe is, years. It's mm. amusing to, in, in like a sick sort of way for me to watch the way that people get bored of it and just decide that it doesn't matter anymore. Um, because, I, I, again, I can't speak for anyone personally but I think that I am... I'm painfully aware of of what is happening in the world because uh, it could kill my best friend. <laughs> so I am watching it like a hawk. Um, I don't leave my flat really. Um, as cases, as soon as the R rate went above one, I sort of hunkered back down and didn't leave. Um, I think what needs to happen and what we all understand needs to happen is there needs to be another lockdown, another hard lockdown. Um, because I don't think I don't think the restrictions in place will stop spread. I think it might limit it slightly, um, but like you say, people will continue to see their friends and family if they don't think that it impacts them. People will continue to see their friends and family and share you know share households, visit houses if they think that it's over, and there's no risk to them, or if they want to do what they want to do, um, and. The only way to stop that is to go back to where we were, what was it, was it May? Where mm. we're sat in a room. And I don't, I don't want to get there. <laughs> I don't know about anyone else, but I was I was very unwell throughout that. I was not great in my brain. Um, but I think it, that that might be the only way that people take it seriously. It definitely was a tough time for everyone. But yeah. I feel... It would be different this time on the basis of that Nicola Sturgeon said she wouldn't close schools, she wouldn't close colleges or unis. And also, if we can't go into uni, we have an online aspect. Mm -hmm. I suppose for, for younger younger people like us, that's really good. But I suppose those things then do put a lot of worry as well into our minds. And it becomes almost impossible to get anything done. Um, I, I think everyone has gone through the same mindset of productivity this year is useless like there is it feels like I can get nothing done ever um, because you know there's a, a rampant man-eating virus <laughs> on my doorstep um, it's, it's, it's an unusual time and I wouldn't I don't want to go back into lockdown I don't think that that is going to be good for anyone but i think it is the only way to limit things um, that's the you know the problem the snp are having mm-hmm. with them trying to formulate policy at the moment because they oh they obviously you know the the scientists are telling them what they need to do and it's a, it's about a balance of you know you know doing what is best for the country in terms of health but then you also have to take the economy into account and also it seems strange to say that even though there is a killer virus on the loose in the country, people are sort of 
bored of hearing about it. There's mm-hmm. just sort of compassion fatigue with it. People don't want to. People don't want to deal with it anymore. They don't want to read about it. They don't want to see it on TV, and so they have to. They have to sort of balance making the rules with also having to accept that a lot of people might not follow them. Um, yeah, I think that what is happening is we're seeing the beginning of really trying to live with it. Um, and the fact that there is, I th- I'm personally, for me, one of the biggest problems with what's going on in the world right now is that there's no end. There's no date where it's going to be done. There's no month that you can go, ah, they'll have everything fixed by March next year. So I just have to keep going, you know, six more months. There is none of that. There's just, well, try and not die. Uh, and try and not kill the people around you. And we'll we'll get it fixed when we can get it fixed. And that's not the fault of anyone. Um, but it does make the entire situation a lot more difficult. Um particularly economically and when we speak about economically we can also look at what's happening throughout the rest of the country um Rishi Sunak announcing the furlough scheme being extended um because businesses are going to have to keep shutting down local lockdown means that businesses are going to have to keep shutting down workers are going to be losing out um business owners are going to be losing out there is no positive coming out of this um and because there's no end date it makes it really hard to deal with as a society. Again, you're getting news fatigue, uh, like Thomas mentioned. News fatigue kicks in, people don't care. You know, the rules slip. One of the one of the, the things that I keep sort of taking issue with is when they keep putting these sort of time limits in place because they think that they're using these to sort of reassure people but in the long run it just ends up making people feel worse off because they feel like you know they feel like they've been lied to because you know Nicola Sturgeon said that this circuit breaker was only going to be for two weeks Mm -hmm. so people have it in their heads it's like oh okay in two weeks we'll be you know we'll be back at the pub again but if cases haven't if there's not been any sort of fluctuation if cases don't really go down that much over the next two weeks then there's there's no logical reason for the SNP to open up pubs in the central belt again and then if things continue to to get worse they might just you know shut pubs in the borders or up north as well yeah and there is actually a lot of pubs and restaurants in the borders that have said they are closing for two weeks because it's just yeah. Yeah. without being able to sell alcohol, it is not financially viable for them to even bother opening. Um, and I, not to be like a pessimist, but I would go so far as to say that you know this is not going to be a two-week endeavor. Mm. I think it'll be extended, um, and I think what 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 they're really trying to do with the central belt and the sort of prohibition for lack of a better word, you know, the dry spell that they're giving us is um, they're trying to lock out student spread, um, which has been insane. Um, student spread has been awful because they're living in close quarters. They're mixing with one another. Um, and the, I don't put the full blame on the students um, for this. No. I think that universities have been a nightmare through all of this. They took students back to campus. It wasn't safe. 
they should have understood that this was going to be a risk. And while, you know, there's individual blame to be laid with the students, people who are stupid, partying in, in flats and halls, um, why did university charge, what is it, 670 quid to let them come back and stay in halls yeah. um, and mix with one another and, you know, attend the campus in the middle of a pandemic? Also, it, it Eat Out to Help right. Out was very much aimed at students. Oh, I absolutely so matt, um, matt hancock laid the blame to students for spreading the virus mm-hmm. as if he wasn't part of the plan to get students back out again yeah um the, the thing with the, heat out to help out though was it did its job in that it boosted the economy and also mm. cracking you could get a full breakfast and a pint for a fiver <laughs> what's not to like well, the sudden surge in coronavirus cases post eat out to help. Yeah, out. well, <laughs> we yeah, we didn't like uh, that very much. Apart from that, and then the immediate it's blame just, that was laid with young people. There's, some, there's, well, a, there's something that, very defeating about um, having a government that don't seem to understand what everybody else does, and you know, people people are predicting these changes, but the people in charge aren't. It's like when. Um, Dido Harding said no one could have predicted that the need for tests was going to go up in September. I, th- I think everybody saw that coming, except mm. for, ironically, the person in charge of testing. The government also, this week, pissed off arguably the biggest crutch we have to help ourselves through this. They pissed off the arts industry oh, by suggesting that they retrain and get a proper job. Once I more... Mean, how As... <laughs> ridiculous can you get? At the end of you know the Great Depression, the arts was the thing that people clung to. You know, yeah. music, music. Try, try getting through know. this without music, books, box sets to binge on television, satire to take the piss out of the incompetent idiots running us. So, mild for... there. Carry on. I think that um, <laughs> all four of us are pretty hip. I mean, we've got careers in the arts, but we also have hobbies in the arts. I make music, Stephen DJs. I'm pretty sure Thomas makes music, and Alistair is an avid consumer of music. Um, and I believe that it would not be ridiculous to say that for, for most of your life, when you're an artist, that is the narrative that you're fed. Uh, and it is just so defeatist to have a government that relies on arts and you know prides itself on being a country full of art and culture to be like um maybe consider getting a deal job you know go fry some fish it's uh, it's it's what's even worse with them you know not supporting the arts is that the arts is prop props up many other industries such mm-hmm. as travel, accommodation, tourism, lots of courses, tourism as well, and it's just awful because they don't see what massive effect they're going to make. For example, if I were to travel down to, let's say, I was going to travel down to Fly Festival from Aberdeen, I need to get a train, I use ScotRail, I then get a hotel, and then, for example, I have something to eat out before I go there. The festival makes money from the drinks that I buy and the ticket that I bought to go there. Yeah. So the, the, it's just, it, it really is just disconcerting that we're not seeing the bigger picture of other and, industries that are going to be affected by this. It also just shows and demonstrates how 
out of touch and woeful this Tory government really is when it comes to <laughs> everything. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't need an update on that, did we? Something I think that's been kind of forgotten about is, uh, if you remember sort of um, during lockdown, uh, this government, they weren't going to properly inject funding to keep yeah. music venues afloat. And the yeah. only reason that arts got that money was because of massive social media campaigns mm. that were orchestrated by students yeah. and whenever whenever these sort of social media campaigns happen it's, it's obviously a really good thing that enough public support gets something done about it but you have to sort of stop and think you know what what would happen if people just decided not to do that and decided to just trust the government to fund the arts yeah. properly so um, if it I had been left to them we wouldn't have any music venues left <laughs> Because I, I I remember the campaign to keep uh, Glasgow student music venues open, um, and I remember uh, just as lockdown ended, I went home, uh, like family home home, uh, up north, and I remember sitting in the car and reading an article about uh, theatres in Edinburgh. Edinburgh has a, a thriving live performance culture. Um, theatre, musical had um, had. Um, <laughs> The Traverse, which was a hub of independent theatre and independent playwrights, had to let go of half of their staff. That's 50% of their entire staff. That was with the furlough scheme and with the injection of funding into the arts. Um, the King's Theatre and uh, you know its sister theatres, they're kept afloat by community funding. It's, it's not the government putting money into them that's keeping them open. Um, or keeping them functioning, or keeping their staff paid. It is community donations, um, because people don't want to lose the what I would consider one of the hearts of Edinburgh. Um, and I imagine that it's the same for places like Sneaky Pete's, um, places throughout Glasgow, King Toots, um, a lot of independent, you know, smaller music venues, even independent theatres. Uh, it was... It, I mean, it's scary and it's sad to think of what will happen after this and whether or not we'll get back to that golden age of community and, and you know, West End and touring theatre um, and music. It's, I don't like to think about it, honestly. The real the real sort of uh, slap in the face to the creative arts industry is uh, this, this government, will, sort of parliament in general, has said to them, the, the, the money isn't there to keep them afloat and you know the Tories saying that they should you know retrain in other professions so they're <laughs> they're being told you know we literally do not have the money to keep you going and then today they give themselves a three and a half grand pay rise yeah they've so gone from 81 to 85 the sort of it's 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 almost as if they don't even realise what that's going to do to their image and how it's mm-hmm. going to affect the um, their uh, polling results. Mm-hmm. There's uh, two other big investments that the government are making that are very controversial. You have HS2, which is yeah. cost billions, and then you also have uh, nuclear weapons in the west mm. of Scotland, that Trident, which is going to be renewed. I mean, we all we all know which we would rather invest that money in. 
yeah. anything other than nuclear weapons on the Clyde. <laughs> but moving from that wonderful cheery news through to our friends across the pond who are going through uh, what can only be described as the similar situation to us but on fire. Um, the US general election. General election. Election. Um, the 2020 presidential election. Uh, now if you've been keeping up to date and you've been following through with our writings on the website you'll have seen uh, Trump has coronavirus. The last debate was a mess. Um, but we saw Harris and Pence go toe-to-toe. Was it yesterday? Yes, I believe. Well, two days ago. Um, now, how are we feeling about that? Who watched it? Who kept up to date with it? Who saw the policies? Who saw the fly on Pence's head? Fly I didn't gate know, 2020. I didn't know very much about Kamala Harris before I watched the debate. I've not, I've not seen much of her sort of public speaking. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was really, I was really sort of impressed by how art, how articulate she was, and I think I think she's got enough to prop Biden up for his lack of ability in public speaking, which was on show during his debate. Mm-hmm. That was something that we briefly spoke about last week. The fact that um, you know when you look at when you look at Trump and Biden. Trump is all personality and no policy and Biden is the total opposite um, all policy no personality um, now it's interesting that they're they're running mates so Pence um, Pence is a, f- a very good politician and I imagine that anyone mm. who watched that debate last night would have last night a couple of nights ago would have noticed it um, he knows what he's talking about and he's got a level head um, so a level Harris, of fly could land on it Um, Harris is also you know, more of a personality than Biden I don't think that's particularly difficult though Um, and she is also an excellent public speaker and and putting my own qualms with uh, Kamala Harris aside uh, she does a good job of making him look good Well uh, during Wednesday I watched it I thought Kamala Harris at the start she did struggle against Mike Pence, if you like, mm-hmm. Mike, they definitely switched of the quality of what we were speaking about. Kamala didn't have a great start, but she really, about halfway through, really took a turn, and Mike Pence definitely took a turn as well. He just wasn't, he just couldn't answer, and he kept mm-hmm. blabbering on about things that Trump had said they were going to do and it it just wasn't true most of the things that he was talking about but Harris did get a lot of pledges, a lot of policy in that debate one of the biggest things that people don't seem to be talking about are the things that they did not answer mm-hmm. in the middle of the debate the moderator asked both of them that was popular one of the biggest questions that they were given was that if Trump or Biden were to come ill as president, what would happen? This has been popular as they are the oldest mm. for this presidential election, and mm. both of them avoided that question. It's I not so much they, they avoided to. it as because they didn't want to answer it, or because they just don't know what all the procedures are in place. Because I imagine there are a lot of procedures in place for a president mm-hmm. falling ill and being unable to serve in office. 
um, I think the VP takes over immediately, mm. yeah. um, and then there's there's the possibility of a snap election. But I'm not sure if that works in America the same way that it would in the UK. Um, I don't know if it's it's possible for them to call snap elections unless somebody resigns, mm. in which case uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, but the VP would take immediate take over immediately. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch is... a lot of the debate. But what struck me is how well Kamala Harris handled herself through Mike Pence's numerous interruptions and trying to talk over her. Well, so this is the thing, and this is what I see on Twitter a lot, and it's always uh, when you have a woman running in the American presidential election to any capacity, um, what you see a lot of is men... Not to sound like a raging feminist, though I might be. Um, you see a lot of men getting quite scared of strong women. And what they like to do is to raise their voice and talk over them. And talk really quickly and talk over them really fast. So that you can't hear what she's saying. Um, and, it, it, you know, you saw it with Trump and Biden, but I think that that was more a sparring match than anything. But Pence thought that if he raised his voice and he spoke fast enough and he spoke over her, no one would pay attention. Um, and what Kamala Harris did is sort of straighten herself up and go shut up. Uh, actually, this is what I'm saying. Um, which, again, you see it in politicians like AOC as well. AOC takes absolutely nothing from anyone. Um, and that is something that I find quite admirable in general. It takes a lot to throw yourself out there. Um, but what's worth talking about, I think, and the whole reason that uh, Thomas has a wee notebook on this, is the environmental policies that they were chatting about. Um, in particular, yeah. on my behalf, uh, I was looking at their fracking policies and the way that Trump is talking about Biden's fracking policy and the way that we all seem to be acting like fracking is a good thing. Yeah, so that that was some that was something I found really curious about the Harris-Pence debate. So I, I felt Kamala Harris was really good at sticking the boot into the Trump administration but like Biden didn't do enough to sort of big up their own policies because she spoke a lot about the the Green New Deal even though Biden said that he didn't support it and it even though it's on his website so they were giving some very mixed signals about that and the the issue of the issue of fracking um Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have both said it's not their intention to ban fracking, mm. even though even though it probably should be. Um, but I think I think the the problem is they don't they don't want to appear to be sort of coming for working class jobs. Basically, mm -hmm. they don't they don't they don't want to be like, you know, day one in office, we are going to completely shut down fracking and you're all going to be out of a job because mm -hmm. that was the approach of some of the more left wing candidates for the Democrat nomination, like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, to a certain extent, they were saying that, you know, there would be outright bans on fracking and something that Kamala Harris didn't really say enough about to sort of get the more left wing on side with with Biden was that the intention is to get rid of fracking but not not as it was described by Mike Pence it's going to be a gradual process and people are going to be retrained into other jobs in renewable energy which makes more sense um 
And I, but, I think that Harris and Biden are fighting against that Pence and Trump sort of mindset of they have framed them. And the, the, the Trump uh, administration is very, very good at doing this. Um, they have framed them to be the enemy of people. Um, yeah. It's it's not, um, it's not, oh, they're going to get rid of fracking, so you're going to lose your jobs. It's these Democrats, these socialists are going to come in and they're going to wreck your working class jobs and they're going to take away fracking, which is, is it's putting you in, in control and it's giving you money. And it's, it's you know, it's uh, an American business where Americans are creating their own um, power source and their own natural gas. When the reality of it is the economic, uh, the economic and uh, environmental impact of fracking, you know, it's great in the short term, it's terrible in the long term, mm. um, and to come in and retrain people in more sustainable workforces and phase out fracking is the better option, um, and it must, probably better it, it, for them in the long run. It must be so worrying though for any person with a family or just by themselves to hear on the news that they could possibly be losing their job on the basis of who they vote for. It must mm. be worrying, and I do feel for them. I mean, we have outlawed fracking in Britain. It has been shown many times to be dangerous. It's 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 a real... It, it's going to be a real big decision for people who go down to vote, who are voting right now, and it's going to be a really big deal-breaker. You know, the Republicans are bury this sort of anti-environment you know they're trying to play this all it's all good sort of game the democrats are different but is it, what's one thing that is surprising me about fracking is that it could really turn this election mm. it's it's become one of the big issues um and like you say people people are really at a point where they're like i'm gonna lose my job and it, it like during coronavirus yeah, during exactly. coronavirus as well. Um, and like I've mentioned, the Trump campaign has been excellent at demonising every aspect of uh, the the sort of democratic plans to get even slightly more liberal. Um, like they do it with healthcare as well. Um, the Democrats speak briefly about extending Obamacare and uh, the Republicans take it and phrase it as like they're going to nationalise your health service which means worse health care for everyone and um, more expensive for everyone because your taxes are going to go up you're going to pay more they're going to take away your jobs so you're going to be paying more out of your jobs that you don't have um and it it, it really is taking it from zero to a hundred in the space of five seconds the the reality of it is it's it's so difficult for the american public to cut through that and see the facts because they're surrounded by it constantly um and it, it's, it becomes harder and harder for them to understand that there's an alternative to what's being fed to them from both sides. Mm. Um, it's quite concerning. And I wonder why that sort of uh, electoral practice is allowed. I've been, I've been reading up on um, Joe Biden's website about his environmental policies. And when I was going through it and reading it, I was just, I was just sort of, I was left very confused because if I if I was if I was Biden and the the plans that I've put in place the plans that I say I'm going to go through with is what I'm actually going to do then I'd get myself and Kamala Harris to be absolutely screaming it from the rooftops because mm -hmm. Trump 
Trump and Pence are saying, you know, Biden and Harris, if you if you work in oil, gas, coal industries, you know, they're coming for your jobs and they're trying to sort of move away from that and they're like, oh, you know, we're not we're not going to get rid of this and that. But Joe, um, the plans that Joe Biden's laid out is that, you know, there's going to be a gradual shutdown of those industries. But as those industries are closing down, the people who work within those industries will, they won't just be retrained, but they'll be retrained into better paid jobs. Mm-hmm. So they would be financially better off. And as well, last night, Mike Pence was saying that um, Biden wants to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Um, and he was saying like, you know, he addressed the American people directly and he said, you know, you've heard that here Joe Biden wants to raise your taxes. But again, that's something that he's not, that's something Biden hasn't challenged on. And those tax cuts, the ones that he's going to repeal, only affect the top 1%. And the money that comes from repealing that is going to be invested into into manufacturing and... Um, you know, bringing in more jobs. And so if if Biden thinks that this is doable and he has actually pledged himself to do it, then he's really not doing enough to get the message out there because a lot of his policies would really, really appeal to a lot of working-class voters who are probably quite indifferent at the moment because n- neither side have done very well at sort of getting across what they're actually going to do if they are elected. And I think that this is this all feeds back um, to bring it a wee bit close to home to the exact same thing that you see happen in the UK every time that we have an election, wherein conservatives phrase, and this is not to say that you you shouldn't or should vote conservative, um, but conservatives will appeal to the working class by mentioning taxes or impact on working class jobs, um, when in reality the impact that this is going to have will be on the top one percent. Now, I don't know anyone with a working class job who even vaguely enters the top one, two, three, four, five percent. Um, and it's likely the same in America. But because they make it sound so personable and so, you know, it directly impacts you and it's, it's your responsibility to make sure that these, these madmen don't get in and take your jobs and your money, it becomes, it becomes personal. It becomes a matter of protecting yourself and your family and the opposition never never ever speaks up enough you know labor never spoke up enough um the democrats never speak up enough hillary didn't do it enough last year hillary chose to focus on the 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 incorrect demographic last year and lost herself a lot of votes because of it um and i think i think that we might see a trump re-election for almost this exact reason because the democrats cannot sing and shout the way that Republicans can. 